We started recently uh, a year-long series that we are calling the Year of Biblical Literacy. And there are many goals in this year. But the basic goal is this, to know the Bible as you read through the Bible. That's the basic goal. And we have a lot, um, and I've been sharing them. But our basic goal is like for you to read the Bible yourself. I said last week that most people, especially those people under the age of 30, have not read the Bible cover to cover. And I have found ministering in San Francisco in just six years, not that long, but the six years I've, I've ministered in this town, I've met some of the smartest people I've ever met. And I'm surprised on how many people are illiterate when it comes to the Bible. Like they just don't know how to read the Bible or they don't read the Bible. And then they go to church, they're Christian, like, but they just don't engage with the scriptures. Now, I know that a lot of us have, we know the fundamental answers to the Bible's questions, the answers that you're supposed to know about the Bible. But I, I found that we typically don't get those answers by reading the Bible. We get those answers by like an apologetic book that we got in college or something like that, or a sermon that we heard or something like that. And so what we're hoping to do is we're endeavoring this year to learn the Bible and talk about the Bible as we're reading the Bible. So we're reading it. Every morning, we have, we've partnered with the Bible Project, who's been doing these videos. Have you guys been watching these videos? How helpful are these videos? They're insane. Yes. Oh, and next week, Tim Mackey will be here, the voice of the Bible Project. Um, next Sunday night, um, he'll be teaching, and then he'll be a lecture on Monday night. Um, did we announce a lecture, by the way? We didn't. Okay, great. So, um, so we're reading the Bible every day. Like, it doesn't take that long. Uh, sometimes it takes about 12 minutes, sometimes 20 minutes watching the video and all that stuff. But we're, we're trying to immerse ourselves in the scriptures and then talk about them in community groups and then learn how to respond to God through the scriptures on Sundays. Um, and I can't emphasize this enough. Uh, do this year. If, you're, if it's your first time here, start with us right now. Just jump into this. Do this year. It will be a daily commitment, reading, watching these videos, community groups, lectures, sermons, but this will be the most probably valuable year that you've ever had as a follower of Jesus, ever. Or just, if you just, I'm not really a follower of Jesus, I just go to church right now. This will be the most valuable year that you could possibly have, and we're doing it together. That's what's so fun about it. It's like, you can talk to pretty much anyone that goes to our church about this subject. Like, did you read that story today? What is going on with the Bible? It is crazy. Um, so, last week, I talked about the problem of the Bible. And if you haven't listened to that, I highly recommend, because it's, uh, this introduction series is really important. The, I talked about the problem of the Bible. Um, today, I want to talk about the reason for the Bible. So, 2 Timothy three fourteen through um, through 17. Paul writing to uh, young Timothy, one of his protégés, one of the guys that he was mentoring, uh, a fellow like elder pastor that he released in the ministry. He says this, Second uh, Timothy three fourteen. As for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from who you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which have which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is God's words. Let's pray. Um, Lord, I pray that, um, that tonight that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the scriptures, that you would help me. I just, this is so... Um, for me personally, daunting. So help me, give me strength and wisdom. And I just don't, I don't want to mess this up. So help Lord be with us, teach us tonight in Jesus name. Amen. Um, 
A couple months ago, Oprah was on Late Night with Stephen Colbert, and, um, and they were going back and forth sharing their favorite Bible quotes. I think I, I might have shared part of this story a couple weeks ago. And Colbert said that uh, his favorite Bible verse um, was the, the Jesus' command in the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, um, I say to you, do not worry. And that was, that was his favorite verse. And they joked about it a bit, and they were about to transition when Oprah was like, wait, I want, I want to share mine. I want to share what it, what it means to me. So she, she shared, this is my favorite Bible verse. Psalm 37, 4. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's a great passage, great song. And then she said this, and then she said, this is what I take that to mean. The Lord has a wide range of meaning. It means compassion and love and forgiveness and kindness. So you delight yourself in those virtues where the character of, quote, the Lord is revealed. So delight yourself in love and forgiveness and kindness, and then you will receive the desires of your heart. That's she says. And then everyone claps. Everyone's there. And I remember I was watching this. And I was like, and I'm studying, obviously getting ready for this whole year. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I write, write it down really quick. And I have, gosh, I have a lot to say about what she just said. Um, but what this episode does, it brings up all these questions when it comes to the Bible. I mean, it brings up for me a lot of questions. I think the, the biggest question, one of the biggest questions that it brings up, the, what Oprah did to this, she's like, read a verse. She's like, this is what I take that to mean. And this is what I take the Lord to mean. And this is what I think the verse means. And this is what I use it for. It brings up this question. What is the Bible for? What is the Bible for? I mean, what is this collection of 66 different books, different genres of books told over a huge period of time that has like one unified story? What is it for? What is this Bible for? Is it timeless truth? Is this timeless truth? And that's what a lot of people think about the Bible. It's just timeless truth. Is the Bible where we go to try to find that nugget of truth that we need in the moment? Or you know, we're going to a job interview, we're going, we have a big pitch meeting, we have, and we need that thing, that like shot in the arm, we need that timeless truth. Or is it like for our life verse, like my life verse is this verse. Like what, what is the Bible for? An example, like well, this is an example of timeless truth. Uh, imagine you saying, I have all these, I have all these desires in my heart. What, to, what do I do with all these desires? I, I, I want to, what do I do with them? And then how do I get all the desires of my heart? Oh, oh I, I know what I'll do. I'll go to the book of timeless truths and I'll see how to get the desires of my heart. Oh, look at this. Psalm 37, four says, delight myself in the Lord and I will get all my heart's desires. Oh, see, there it is. It's right there. That's how I get my heart's desires is delight myself in the Lord. Oh, and then what is Lord? Well, I think Lord is goodness and love and all these other things. And are, are we allowed to do that with the Bible? Are we allowed to go, you know, this is, I have this question, and I'm going to go find this verse, and when I find this verse, I'm going to take that to mean something. Are we allowed to do that? Is that what the Bible is for? See, a, a lot of us come to the Bible looking for particular answers to particular questions. We come to the Bible with questions like, can I live with my boyfriend? Or how do I be happy in marriage? Or can I be gay and be a Christian? Or can I get a divorce? Or can I watch rated R movies? Like really big questions like this. And we go to the Bible for like, can I, can I do these things? Am I allowed to do these things? How do I do these things? And when we make the Bible an answer book to all our questions and approach the Bible like that, we make the Bible into something it's not. When we go to the Bible and we're like, okay, I have all these, answers, these questions and I, want, I need to find all the, all, all the corresponding verses to the corresponding answers. When we do that with the Bible, we turn the Bible into something it's not. Now, here's a caveat. This is an important caveat. There are 
timeless truths found in the Bible. And you will find the answers to most of those questions. But the Bible is not after answering your specific sets of questions. That's not what the Bible is set out to do. That's not what the Bible is trying to do. The only thing you have to do to understand this, to really get this, is to read Hebrew poetry. And you're going to get there in a few months. And when you start reading Hebrew poetry, you'll be convinced that, that the, the Hebrew poets actually pose more questions than they answer. So if you have all these questions and you're reading the Bible this year, you might come to find out at the end of this year that your questions won't be answered, that you're going to sit in your questions and you're going to sit in the mystery that is God for the rest of your lives. That, the, the Bible might not answer your question. See, the Bible is not even answering all our doctrinal questions, let alone life questions. But again, another important caveat. Yes, our doctrine, what we believe as a church, is based on the Bible and must come from the Bible. But when we reduce the Bible to a set of truths, a set of, set of truths and propositions, like doctrinal propositions, we miss what the Bible is trying to do. Let me give you an illustration. This is a very, very I think it might be a very bad illustration, like bad. Like, I mean, um, this illustration might make you question things. And um, you might have emails, and rightly so. So, um, you know, they're welcome. So uh, you can email me at uh, davedaily at realitysf.com. <laughs> so shoot an email there, and I'll make sure that I answer your question. So here's the illustration. It has to do with, with, with rap music, hip-hop music, Okay. Okay, so this is going to might break down really fast. Um, is rap, hip-hop offensive? Yes. Um, it's not all of it is good. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Um, some can't listen to it because it's so bad. Some people turn on like, oh my gosh, this is so bad. I can't even listen to it. I'm a Christian. I can't listen. Okay, fine, 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 fine. I'm not trying to, I'm not saying you should listen to it. Or I'm, I'm not saying that it would aid you in following Jesus at all. All I'm saying, I'm just saying this. That even to begin to appreciate, it, it, say if you wanted to, if even to begin to appreciate rap music or hip-hop, whatever, you have to know what it's actually trying to do. It's trying to tell a story, and it's trying to be provocative. It's using a type of language from like the streets and a way of talking that gets the point across in a certain way. I mean, there's all kinds of examples of this, um, from like Kendrick Lamar's album to Pimp a Butterfly that got... Um, nominated for 12 Grammy Awards. Um, and earlier this year, in an article in the LA Times, he says that he, he gave his life to Christ in a food for less parking lot. And that he says, quote, I'm the closest thing to a preacher that many of his audience or his fans have. And, 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 and though his word will never be as strong as God's word, he, he says, all, all, I, all I think I am is a vessel. Now, are his lyrics something that would be played unedited on a Christian radio station or focus on the family or whatever? No, no way. Never. Should you go listen to it? Probably not. If you don't know, just don't. Just, okay? But again, to appreciate it, you have to realize what rap is trying to do. Uh, Jay-Z, for example, has this song that you might know. It's called um, 99 Problems. I got 99 problems, but it goes on from there. <laughs> Now, people, when they hear this song, like, oh my gosh, this song is so oppressive to women. He actually got a lot of heat for this. Uh, this song is so oppressive to women. Is this song about a woman? No, it's about, it's, it's, it's literally about a dog. It's about a literal dog. And his book, Decoded, he says that he got, before he was famous, he got pulled over 
um, by the cops, and drugs were locked in his glove compartment. It's actually in the song. You've listened to it. And, and they, I said, I'm, I need to check your glove compartment. He's like, you can't. You can't unless you have a warrant. He goes, well, I'm calling the, the drug-sniffing dog out, the canine unit, to come out and smell for drugs. And, you know, as soon as that happens, he's busted. And then that cop gets called away. And then as he gets called away, he dri- Jay-Z drives away, and he sees the canine cop car with his lights blaring, driving opposite of him down the road. And he says, I got 99 problems, but that dog ain't one. That's what the song means. Now, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa why, why, is he, why doesn't he just say that? Why does, he, why does he use that word? Like, why can't he say, I have 99 problems, but a canine sniffing dog ain't one? Like, why can't that be the thing? Why can't that? Why, why can't it be more literal? Why? why? Again, I'm not advocating for it. I'm saying you have to realize what rap is actually trying to do. So, I know this is weird. Now I'm going to transition right back to the Bible. Um, So is the Bible offensive? Are there parts of it that would want to make some modern people stop reading it? Because it's oppressive or repressive or even misogynist. Misogynistic, maybe. But you have to see what the Bible is actually trying to do. Like if you're reading through Genesis with us, you might realize that men have all these wives. And you're like, what is up with this? Why is this happening? Why doesn't God say, you can't do that? Why can't it be? And then chapter 7, whatever, chapter 12, verse 8. And don't take so many wives. Stick with one. Like why doesn't it say that chapter and verse? And I would argue, and a lot of, um, even uh, a guy that was a uh, Old Testament narrative professor at Berkeley, Robert Alter, actually argues this in his book, um, on the Old Testament, where he says, actually, the Old Testament is saying that. But it's saying that through a narrative story. It's saying that, in a sense, because when you actually read the story of all these wives, it never, it, it never looks, it never ends up right. It, it never ends well. And in a sense, God is saying, you can't do that, because it's, it doesn't ever work out well. But in another sense, God is actually not even trying to do that with the, the, these texts. He's trying to work through these very messed up people to bring about redemption to the whole world. That is what he's trying to do. And what he's doing is he's doing that through this part of the story. So you have to enter into the text and going, what is the writer? What is God trying to do? When you read the Bible, a set of timeless truths or doctrinal propositions, you will quickly find out that the Bible doesn't behave itself. There's like, I believe it. And you go read and you're like, whoa, why is this whole thing? When we go through the Bible as like, when we look at the Bible as like a source book for spiritual comfort or guidance or doctrine, it can make us squirm. And last week I said, this is kind of the problem with the Bible. But I don't think the, the problem is with the Bible. I said that because I was trying to be provocative myself. Um, but the problem is not taking the Bible on its own terms. So this brings us back to this question, what is the Bible for? So three things. Three things I want to I talk about. They won't take that long. But um, this is what the Bible is for. The Bible is for to know who God is, to tell the real, true story of human history from God's perspective, and to shape us as a people of God so we can live in this God's ongoing story. This is what the Bible is for. This is what the, this is what the Bible is getting at, to show us who God is, that we might know who God is, to tell the true story of human history from God's perspective, and to shape us as a people of God so we can live into God's ongoing story. This is what the Bible is for. So, point one. To know who God is. Everyone, turn their Bible to the very first page. Page one. Genesis one. Turn there. And take out a pen or a pencil or a crayon or whatever you have with you. Um, if you're like in adult coloring right now, whatever. So take that out. And on the top of the Bible, 
Um, if you write in your Bibles, if you do this sort of thing, um, I do, write this, very top. This is a book about God. Write that in your Bible. This is a book about God. Now, if you were with us four years ago when we started Genesis, I had you do that. Is anyone in here tonight have that written in their Bible because they were here four years ago? Boom. Extra points in heaven. Anyone else? I'm giving away points tonight. <laughs> no one? Okay. Um, okay. This is a book about God. Now, this, and I want you to frame the Bible. The Bible is, is, is first and foremost a book about who God is. And, and look at this. Look at the very, because you're in Genesis 1, look at the very first few lines of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is a book about God. And God said, verse 3, let there be light. And God, verse 5, and God called the light day. Verse 6, and God said, verse 8, and God called. Verse 9, and God said, verse 10, and God called. Do you see that rhythm? God said and called and said and called and said and called. This is not a book that's particularly or primarily about you. It's a book that's primarily about God. And all of us, skeptic, Christian-like, even skeptical Christians, we want to begin the book with, with like, all these questions. We have questions of sexuality. We have questions of ecology, of cosmology. And if Genesis 1 is about anything, it says we can't start with the topics and look for answers. We have to start with God. In the beginning, God. The Bible is God's self-revelation. The Bible is about God disclosing himself to us, showing us who he is and what he's like. And what we learn about God from the opening lines of this book is that God is a God who communicates. And it's, it's, it's no surprise that God would leave us with a book, that God would inspire and allow through all sorts of different situations for us to have a book, because God is a God who communicates to us. And we see that at the very opening. God has uses words, and his words mean something. His words have authority, and his words have authority to create. And that's why I had you read, uh, and God said, and it was. He has this authority with his, with his words to create things. So he says it, and it is. But not just this, not just the authority to create. He has the loving power to give identity, to give meaning, to give function to something. So it's important that it says that God said, and then, it, and then God called it. So God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God called the light day. So he gives function and order and purpose and identity to things. God said in creation, and God calls in identity. This is the God who creates. This is the God who gives meaning. This is the God who gives purpose, who gives function, who gives identity. And this is just page one. This is just line, the first ten lines of the book. But if God is a disclosing God, or rather, if the Bible is disclosing God, or rather, if God is disclosing himself through the Bible... How is he doing that? If, if you ask me to describe my wife, you're like, could you describe your wife? And you're like, what is your wife like? I, I might use facts. I might say that she is, she's female, blue eyes, blonde hair. I might say she was born on November 27, 19, I can't say, um, in Bakersfield, California, that she likes vegetables and she hates waiting in lines or standing up in front of people to talk. Like, I might just report facts to you. Or, when you ask me, what, what is your wife like? I could, I could say, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story about her heart being broken and what breaks her heart. Let me tell you a story about when she couldn't stop laughing. Let me tell you a story about where, during a period of her life, everything made her cry. 
Let me tell you a story about how a couple of her friends gave her the courage to do something she never thought she can do. Now we're talking about my wife as a person, not just a set of facts. So if, if the Bible is about who God is, and it's set up to answer that question, we might want a list of facts. We might want like a BuzzFeed of like top 10 things that God is. But that's not what captures our hearts and, and our imaginations. See, we are storied creatures created by a storied God. So no, when there's a book about God, it starts with, let me tell you a story. In the beginning, or once upon a time, God created the heavens and the earth. It starts with a story. So this is, this is important point to Bible reading. The Bible, especially the Old Testament, is a narrative. It's a story. And God is disclosing the truth about himself through the story of the Bible. It's not a list of facts about who God is. It's telling a story, and we're supposed to be wrapped up into the story. It's not this systematic doctrines or timeless truth. It's not what it's doing. That's not what the Bible is doing. Now, another caveat. That does not mean we, can't, that does not mean we can make the Bible mean anything we want it to mean, because it's just a story, and we just pull out meaning as we want meaning. You can't, you can't do that, not at all. The only way to get our doctrines and truths is to get into the story world of the Bible. So I'm not saying to you, I'm not suggesting that this book, you cannot find timeless truths and you cannot find doctrine. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying the only way that you find truth and you find doctrine is to immerse yourself into the story world of the Bible and then let the Bible dictate what those things are. Not going, I have these sets of truths, I need to go to the Bible to find them. You can't do that. That's not what the Bible is doing. Because it's, the Bible is first and foremost revealing God. There's a book by Eugene Peterson who wrote the Message Bible. You might be using that Bible to read through uh, this year. It's called Eat This Book. It's a great, great little book. He says this in, in this book. He said, this is a text that reveals the sovereign God in, in being in action. It does not flatter us. It does not seek to please us. We enter this text to meet God as he reveals himself. Not to look for truth or history or morals that we can use for ourselves. What he insisted upon supremely was that we do not read the Bible in order to find out how to get God into our lives, to get him to participate in our lives. That's getting it backward. Now, what he's saying there, what he, what he means by it's getting it backwards, because the Bible, we're supposed to get the life of, we're supposed to, to get life of God. We're supposed to dive into the Bible and find life with God. We're not trying to take the Bible and like fit it into our little lives. We're supposed to be immersed in its story. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to, as we're reading it, find our lives in its story, not the other way around. Not going, okay, how can this book get into my life? But how do I get my life into, what, into God's unfolding story? Um, and a little example of this. Um, on January 6th, this last week, Ashley and I celebrated dating for 21 years. We've been dating for 21 years. Um, we're, yes, I don't, yeah, okay, cool. We were very young. Gosh, we were seven and eight. No, I'm joking. Um, we were young. <laughs> I just heard my wife laugh. That was cute. Um, we were young. Um, we were, re- I mean, to be honest, and this is a, a weird thing to share, but um, we're very uh, ignorant we're, uh, of God's ways. We were, I mean, really blatant, gross sinners. I mean, I literally got saved the day before, and then we started dating. And we were sitting around our table at home and having dinner uh, on the 6th. And, and uh, we were just reminiscing like, oh my gosh, our first few years of dating, we, we were just so, we were, we were messed up. I mean, we're still messed up, but we're really messed up. 
like really messed up. And then we're like, why did God even like let us be together or live? Why didn't he go all Old Testament on us? Like right then and there, why in the world didn't that happen? Um, and then we just kind of shift a conversation kind of like it does. And then we got to talking about our daily, daily Bible reading. And then we were going, oh my gosh, did you read this morning? Okay, Lot, Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh my gosh, this story is crazy. And we're just walking through the story. And we're like, okay, so yeah, so these angels show up and are delivering Lot because they're about to destroy this place that Abraham tried to intercede for, but it didn't really work because there's not that many righteous people there. And he gets to this, this town and the, the, all these men want to rape angels. And they're like, let us have the angels. We want to rape them. And then Lot's like, you can't rape my angels. Um, and... Um, but take my daughters. And that's the story. That's the story. Did you read it? It's insane. Okay. So they're like, take my daughters. And we're like, oh my gosh, poor daughters. But then a few verses later, daughters are like, let's get dad drunk and, and sleep with him. So we get pregnant by him because we don't know if we're going to have. And we're like, we're, we're talking about like, why didn't God just like wipe the whole thing out again? Like, let's do the flood. I said, I wouldn't do it, but I take it back. I'm going to do it again. Like, it's so bad. And then and then we're talking about this, and, and these things weren't connected, but all of a sudden it happened. We looked at each other, and we realized that, that it was just like us. We found ourselves in God's story. Why didn't God judge us when we were young and, and, and sinful and like so stupid? We're no better than Lot or his daughters. Evil abides in us too, and we look if, if, if our story was written down like, like in Genesis, we would be ashamed to look back. Why did God do that? And then we found ourselves immersed in the story. God is trying to redeem. God is trying to redeem. He's trying to save. He's like, I'm going to deliver you, and I'm trying to redeem you. And, and, I, and the reason I want to say this, because you guys might, like, you might feel like there's a huge distance between this and you, and like, oh my gosh, I'm so messed up, and all this other stuff, and I came to church, but I, I don't know why I'm here. And um, God is after to redeem you. And you're reading these stories, and what you're going to find is that this is actually the true story, and you're going to find your life in it. Like, I'm, I'm just like that. I have moments, like Abraham, where I believe God for gnarly things, and I have moments when I'm trying to say my wife is my sister. Like, it's just so, so weird. By the way, that's, it's in the Bible. Um, if you're like, what is it? Where does that come from? Um, this is what God's crying. The Bible is a story about God. I mean, it's big, and it's complex, and it's true it's a true meta story that we find all our all our stories in that's the second point to tell the real true human the story of human history from god's perspective and the way it does this if you're taking notes you might want to put in parentheses through the lens of israel because there is a lens of a family that god is working through here the bible tells the true story of who we are and what we what went wrong and what god's doing about it i mean that did you um as you're reading Genesis, um, if you're reading Genesis 1 through 11, what you should have done after chapter 11 is um, very carefully as you're reading that, you, you should have said to yourself, who's going to fix this mess? If God is, if, if it went from Adam and Eve and it was great to Genesis 3 and then Noah, you're like, let's reboot this thing because every, every, everyone's heart is evil always. And then God's like, I need, to, I need to reboot this earth. I need to cleanse it. It's so filthy. So I'm going to save Noah. You're like, Noah's the guy that God's going to redeem the world. But then he's drunk and naked at the end of that whole scene. You're like, that's kind of like Adam and Eve, like naked and eating from the tree. He's drinking from the tree, but it's the same difference. Like, oh, this is the same thing. It's in human heart. And then it goes on. And you have the Tower of Babel. Where we're going to make a name for ourselves. Or we're going we're gonna to make a name better than God. And, and you're like, who's going to redeem this? Who's going to save it? How's God, how's God going to save this story? How's God going to save this earth? And in chapter 12, you meet a guy named Abram. And God says, Abram, you don't, you don't know me. I know you. Um, I know you worship like the moon. 
but I'm, I'm, I'm God, I'm Yahweh. Um, would you leave your land and your, and your family and follow me? I'm going to give you land and a family. I know you're old and you don't have a family, but I'll, I'll, get, I'll get you one. And Abraham like, I believe you, God. And he follows him. And then you're like, okay, this story is rebooting again. This is it's happening. Like God's going to redeem the world through this family. And it's a family of a guy who doesn't have a family. How in the world is he going to get a family? And then it's a really messed up way how he gets family. His family's really messed up. But then God redeems and God saves and God redeems and God saves and God. This is the story. And we find ourselves in this story as well. That's what this is there for. And in Genesis 1 to 3, you kind of see this whole thing playing itself out again. So when you read Genesis 1 to 3, we find ourselves in the story that we're created by God and for God. One Old Testament scholar says, It was God who created humanity, and therefore only God can reveal to us our identity and function as humans. And without this biblical revelation, we are lost in a maze of confusion. I think that last phrase, we are lost in a maze of confusion, pretty much sums up this generation, our world, I mean right now, like lost in the maze of identity confusion. No one knows who they are, what they're, they think I'll find it in myself, I'll find it going to school, I'll find it doing this like retreat thing somewhere. Unless, you, unless this, 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 this library of books through it, God reveals who we are and what we're made for, we'll never know. We need this. This is the true story of how God made the world. And we read the Bible as we read the Bible, we won't just find God and know God. We will, but we'll also find the true story of ourselves. We'll find ourselves in this story. Leslie Newbegin was a famous missiologist and missionary to India. And he, ministered, he was ministering to a friend of his, a Hindu intellectual friend. And he gave him a Bible to read. And his friend wrote him a letter back. And his friend said this in a letter to Leslie Newbegin. He said, I can't understand why you missionaries present the Bible to us in India as a book of religion. It is not a book of religion. And anyway, we have plenty of books on religion in India. We don't need any more. I find your Bible a unique interpretation of universal history, the history of the whole creation and the history of the human race, and therefore a unique interpretation of the human person as a responsible actor in history. That is unique. There is nothing else in the whole religious literature of the world to put alongside it. This is what he says as he reads the Bible for himself. He's like, whoa, I'm, an, I'm, I'm actually an actual participant in the history of the human race. I am, this is so unique. And this is how, this is, you're saying that this God created everything and he created me and he, and, he, and, he, and he makes a covenant with humanity and he wants us to live inside that. That is unique. The third thing it does, the Bible, what's the Bible for? It shapes us as a people of God who can live into God's ongoing story. It shapes us. We like to say around here that God is shaping us through our experiences. We, we say that a lot around here. And it's true. God shapes us through our failures and successes, highs and lows and disappointments, um, our elation. All this stuff is important to forming the life of Christ in us. All of it. But, another caveat. Our life experiences are not the text for directing the formation itself. Our experiences are not the text for directing that formation. Experiences are important. Emotions are, all that stuff's important. But it's not the text that drives it. You cannot say, I am a Christian, and then throw away the Bible and prayer and spiritual discipline and spiritual practice and simply say that God is forming you in your experiences. Because you can easily just say that your, your culture or your family of origin is forming you by your experiences. See, again, Eugene Peterson says this. 
The Christian community has always insisted that Holy Scripture that reveals God's ways to us is necessary and basic to our formation as human beings. In our reading of this book, we come to realize that what we need is not primarily informational, telling us things about God and ourselves, but formational, shaping us into our true being. This is the very nature of language to form rather than to inform. When language is personal, which it is at its best, it reveals. And revelation is always formative. We don't know more, we become more. We don't know more, we become more. This is what happens as we immerse ourselves in the scriptures. We know God and we know ourselves and then it forms us into these type of people. See, this year, our our interest is not knowing more, but becoming more. How, how, will become, how will we become more? How will this happen? How will this formation happen? Well, look at our text today. Second Timothy. Again, Timothy writing to Paul. Uh, Paul writing to Timothy says, Continue what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from who you've learned it. And from infancy, you've known the Holy Scriptures. From infancy, you've known the, the, the Scriptures. They would have, that would have been to them the Old Testament. He said the Old Testament, as you've immersed yourself in the story world of the Scriptures, as you've been living in that story, It's made you wise to know and to follow Jesus. And it's made you wise. It makes you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. As you immerse yourself in the text, it forms us into a a people that are are aware of salvation, that are aware of Christ, that see Christ, that are formed in the way of Christ. This is what Scripture does. It works on us. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that we're... That we, that so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is what the scriptures do. The Bible tells one unified story that leads us to Jesus. That's the point of this whole thing. Paul is saying, as you're wise, as you know the scriptures are immersed in the scriptures, know the scriptures, it makes you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. It makes you wise for Christ. Like you start seeing Jesus. And then Paul says, because the scriptures are God breathed. The scriptures are good for us because they're God breathed. They're literally that word is in breathed by God, meaning that this book has living breath in it. It's the breath of God himself. God breathes through this text and the spirit who caused it to be written, who spoke through the different writers in so many ways is as powerful today through this text as ever in God and with God power, it can transform our lives. Like I said, we celebrated 21 years of dating, but the day before, I celebrated 21 years of following Jesus, um, so I can, I can drink now as a Christian. Um, and um, I, was, I was saved by Jesus by reading the Bible for myself for the very first time, okay, very first time. I didn't grow up in church, all this stuff, and, um, and one night after a really horrible, horrible day thinking I want to run away or commit suicide or one of those things... Um, Someone gave me a Bible just a few weeks before, and I grabbed it, and I opened it, and I opened it to the middle. I don't know why I did that. I just thought, like, I don't want to start at the beginning. I want to act like I've read this thing before, so I start in the middle. And it was the book of Job, and I thought it was the book of Job, and I'm like, this is cool. Like, I'll get a job. And so I'm reading this book, and um, there's a student Bible, so they have all these headings, right? And it said, when bad things happen to good people, and um, I thought that was me. I'm like, oh my gosh, my, this was the worst thing that happened to me. I'm I'm a pretty good person. Why did this happen to me? So I started reading it. And as I read it, the book of Job, which, by the way, doesn't even answer the question why bad things happen to good people, right? If you get to the end, it doesn't ever answer the question. 
So, so I'm reading it, trying to find the answer to this question, but I, I don't find the answer. I literally meet Jesus. Like, I'm reading this text, and God speaks to me. I'm reading this text, and Jesus, not in a physical way, but to me, it was really real, showed up to me. He said, follow me. Like, you go the way you're going, it's going to be death. Like, you're going you're to end up dead, kill yourself, or your life will be, like, not the way I've made it. Or you can follow me. Follow me and live. And I didn't, I didn't have that language. I didn't have that framework. I didn't have that. I had nothing. I didn't, I didn't go to church. I mean, I, I went to church here and there, but that wasn't part of my world. My, but God, through this God-breathed text, breathed on me the breath of life. Like, breathed on me. And I, and I said, I'm following Jesus. I got rid of drugs and all the stuff I was doing, and I started following Jesus. In verse 16, Paul says that this breathed book might work in our lives to form us and shape us into a people that live into God's ongoing story. It says that Scripture is useful for teaching. It says Scripture is useful for teaching us. Yes, it is. And what does it teach us? It teaches us to know God, who God is, tell us the true story of human history, and to shape us into a people that live into his story. It's also for rebuke. Scripture is for rebuke. That as we read the Scripture, it will, from time to time, inform us that something we've been doing is out of line with God's will. That will happen this year. You're going to read something like, what I've been doing is out of line. And sometimes it will be plainly, it will be on the surface of the text. It's right there in black and white. Like, oh my gosh. I, and you'll, you'll sense like something convict you. You'll sense like, I, I need to live into this. Other times we read a passage, it will begin, we'll begin to hear the voice of God gently, or perhaps maybe even not so gently, telling us that this story applies to an area of our lives. Like, this is the area of, my, of your life that I want to deal with. This is what it means that the scriptures are God breathed and it rebukes us. Sometimes gently, sometimes not so gently. See, when that happens, as it may often do for those who read the Bible prayerfully this year, we do well to pay attention to that. We do well to be rebuked by the scriptures. And it says scripture is for training for righteousness. Now I have one last thing I want to share. I think this is really important, but it might take three minutes. So you give me three more minutes. The, the, the question of the series is how can this story be authoritative? How can, how can the Bible train us for righteousness, form us in this way that we can live into um, God's story or as, as Paul puts it, that we can be equipped, the servant of God can be equipped for every good work. How do we do that? How can the Bible, which is made up mainly of story, be authoritative? How is this narrative, how is this Bible authoritative? Um, N.T. Wright wrote a little, uh, not so little, but he wrote an article called um, How is the Bible Authoritative? And in it, he says this. I'm going to explain this, but let me read this to you. He says, somehow, the authority which God has invested in this book is an authority that is wielded and exercised through the people of God, telling and retelling their story as the story of the world, telling the covenant story as the true story of creation, in particular through God's telling of the story of Jesus. Now, let me explain this to you. As we read the Bible, as we live into the scriptures, as we tell and retell this this story of God, that God is creator of the world, that God is after to redeem what went bad, that he calls, that he gets angry, that he gets sad, that he gets disappointed, that what, when, when, when something he created as good goes bad, he has wrath. Like when we tell and retell this story, the true story, we live into that story and it becomes authoritative. It's like we're actors and the Bible is the first acts of the play, the first four acts of the play. Now, it's the true story. 
And our job now is to live into act five, to improvise. Like we're, we, we know the first four acts, now we live into act five. We, what we know about the past and what the Bible says about the future. And so we live in the story world of God, in the story world of the Bible. So what God calls good in scripture, we call good. What God calls bad, we call bad. What, what God is after in the world, we are after in the world. What God has revealed in Christ, we make known to the world. This is how the story is authoritative for us. This is how we live into it. We tell it and retell it, and we find ourselves in it, and we know that we have a role to play. We are trained for righteousness. We're trained for holiness, and as this story washes over us, we know that God's story is the true story, and as we live in it and read it and prayerfully go through it and tell it and retell it, it has authority over our lives. Let's pray.